I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. Vision without execution is hallucination. And really the COO or that second command is the execution to the visionary, right? Gino Wickman, who wrote the book Traction and created the EOS model that so many companies use, some smaller companies, talks about the visionary and the integrator, right? So the integrator is the person to get stuff done. Then I've talked to a couple entrepreneurs recently, and one said that the COO is the brakes to their gas. And somebody else said that they're the leash to their dragon. The second command is there to save the entrepreneur from themselves. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. We are here today with Cameron Harold from the CEO Alliance, also the host of the Second in Command podcast. And today's workshop is going to be about the role of the COO. We're going to get into asking Cameron all these questions in just a minute. Cameron, where are you today in the world? Strangely, I'm actually back in Canada. Um, for the last uh, 21 months, my wife and I have been traveling around the world. We've been to about 40 countries in the last two years. And I just came back to Canada for 10 days to spend some time in Vancouver. So I'm, I'm here right now, but then I'm heading back to Spain to go running with the bulls. Is our next trip. No way. Are you are you really actually gonna do the bull run? We are doing the bull run. It's been on my <laughs> wife's bucket list for years. It's been on my fuck it list for years. It's not never been something I wanted to do. Wait, wait a minute. Did you say fuck it list or bucket list? Bucket. It's on her bucket list. It was on my fuck it list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the bucket list is all the stuff you want to do before you die, and the fuck it list is stuff that you just don't need to do, you know, before you die. I've never heard of that before. That is amazing. I love that. Okay, so I have a bit of a bucket list, but now I got to create a bucket list. Yeah. Now this bull run, have you, have you seen what happens though? Sometimes are you not like a little bit worried? I'm a lot worried. Yeah. That's, that's partially <laughs> why it's been on my bucket list. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, you run down these very narrow streets in Pamplona, Spain at very early in the morning and you have like five or six bulls chasing you. And, uh, it's like lots of people doing the run you can get far enough away, but sometimes they get pretty darn close to you and sometimes they run right past you. And the idea is, I guess, to try to get close enough to them that you feel the energy. But I think we're, I, I don't know, like until you get there and you can see it, you don't know where where you can kind of get off the, the little streets. So, yeah. <laughs> I like how you said, almost feel the energy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the key. Yeah. You don't actually want to feel the actual energy. That's that's hilarious. Well, listen, if you're listening to this live, tell tell us it in the comments if you've ever done the bull run or what is the most crazy thing that you have on your bucket list and your bucket list as well too. Um, okay, cool. I think that I see the comments coming in. Uh, people seem to be able to hear us. 
Um, things are good. What I'd like to remind everybody to do as well, too, is I'm going to try to get to asking Cameron all the questions that you want to do. But if you could help me, um, if there are certain questions you want to know from Cameron, if you could put them in the comments down below. Now, if we don't get to them, I'm going to promise you that someone from our team or Cameron's team will come back later on and answer those questions. And, and, and just tell you up front, if you're looking for more information, Cameron's got some great books on Amazon that you can go. Is What's your most recent book, Cameron? What's the one that you just wrote? Most recent one that came out a few months ago is called The Second in Command. I've written six books now, but that's the, the most recent. And probably some of my best one. content ever as well. I think it's your best content as well. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading that book. And then you could also, if you if you have to get out of here and you want more information, you could also, you have a great course online that has how many reviews now? It's called Investing Your Leaders, right? Yeah, we've got about a hundred and I think about 180 reviews right now that we've got online. It's getting really, really well reviewed though all over the world. It's all of the core content on how to grow your people. And you have the largest community only for COOs, correct? I do, yeah. It's called the, the COO Alliance. And then we also just launched something called the OpsPod which is for anybody that works in operations that reports to the COO. But yeah, the COO Alliance, we've now got members from 17 countries. Um, it's been scaling really, really nicely all over the world. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's great. So if you got, if you want to check out more resources, go check those out. We're going to get into asking camera, put your questions below. Don't forget to tell us where you are in the world. Feel free to use as a networking opportunity to drop in your LinkedIn uh, URL down below as well, too. Just remember, you know, what's the saying, Cameron? What is it? Your network is equally your net worth? What, what is yeah, it? Your, your like, network some... is your net worth. That's one of the reasons why I've been, been participating in so many masterminds over the years. You know, I did seven years in Strategic Coach, seven years in the Genius Network. Just came back from my fourth Baby Bathwater event. I've been to five Mastermind Talks events, a couple from War Room. I know I'm forgetting a bunch of others, uh, oh, three, three Wayfinders events. And every time I plug myself into these mastermind communities, I end up growing my network. I end up gaining new ideas on how to grow my companies. I end up finding clients. I end up spending time with current clients. It also just supercharges my energy and my ideas that I can bring back into my business. But yeah, and then I also don't have to be the one trying to figure it all out because I've met all these really other smart people. I can lean on them and ask them for ideas on how to actually scale my companies or how to deal with any problem or opportunity that's sitting in front of me as well. Yeah, that community aspect is so important. And it's, you know, it it's what's interesting for you is there are a lot for the CEO and entrepreneurs. But what's so interesting about yours is there's not a lot for people in operations or people who are the second commands or CEOs. Uh, is yours the you know, like is the is yours the only community that does that? Services operations? Yeah, that's the the core focus of what we what we really looked at was how do we create a community that is exclusively for the COO or the second in command? That's the COO Alliance yeah. because they're not like entrepreneurs. We'll probably talk a little bit about that, but the COO has a very different personality profile. They have very different needs. They focus on very different areas of the business than the entrepreneurs do. And the entrepreneurs have lots of their own communities, right? We've got YPO and EO, Vistage, you know, all the, the kind of the lists that I just rattled off. But there was really no safe space for the second in command to go to share ideas with each other, to share problems they're having, to work on the relationship with their CEO or their team. Um, and then likewise, we started the, the OpSpot recently. We've now got over 100 members of the OpSpot globally, and that community is for anybody that's kind of in the, the lower or mid-level operations roles. Because again, there were lots of conferences for marketing and for 
IT professionals, but there was never anywhere that just focused on the operations side of the business. Yeah. And that's been my that, world. That, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. It's great that there's something like that now for people. Now, speaking of that, you said it was really interesting. It's like, how would you define like the actual COO? Like what would be the definition that he would say if you had to pinpoint it? The, the COO, there's a few people that I've been talking to about this recently. And, and the one that keeps coming back to my mind, clearly I wasn't talking to him, but was Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison, you know, the guy who invented the light bulb and countless other things said, vision without execution is hallucination. <laughs> and really the COO or that second in command is the execution to the visionary, right? Gino Wickman, who wrote the book Traction and created the EOS model that so many companies use, some smaller companies, talks about the visionary and the integrator, right? So the integrator is the person to get stuff done. But then I've talked to a couple entrepreneurs recently, and one said that the COO is the brakes to their gas. Um, and mm -hmm. somebody else said that they're the leash to their dragon. And I think there's something really powerful there to remember that the second command is there to save the entrepreneur from themselves, right? It's there to slow them down, think through it more carefully, not make some of the problems that we're not make some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs can often make because we go too quickly. We're perpetual motion machines, right? We got constantly coming in with all these new ideas. So the COO is the really the person to figure out the who, what, when, where, why, and how to figure out the plans and the budget to make the dreams happen. Very similar in a way to the contractor is the person to make the homeowner's dream happen, right? The homeowner has the idea of what they want to build. The contractor creates the blueprints or the plans, finds all the subtrades and the workers, gets everybody aligned. And then over the course of a year or so, builds out this home on time and on budget, hopefully, right? And that's really the role of the COO. Yeah, that's great. I loved all those different uh descriptions of it the one that connected most with the with me was was it did you say it's the the leash that con controls my dragon leash or my dragon it? yeah oh my god well, that's like, <laughs> no, the, there's, i mean i everybody needs something different but that for me probably that that would be a very that's great right <laughs> kind of, yeah it's so good there's something else that that really has kind of come up with and it's hard it's why it's hard to define the second in command hmm. is because Every second in command is so completely different, right? Yeah. Harvard came out with an article about 15 years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO. And I talk about it and go in depth with it in my book, The Second in Command, where they identified seven distinct types of chief operating officers. Now they talk about the executor, the MVP, the better half, the partner, um, what are a couple others that they've got? The, That's yeah, it. Shit. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but the, the, <laughs> where I kind of go with it is the second in command needs to be great at all the stuff that the CEO sucks at, right? The second in command needs to really love the business areas that the CEO is not very good at. So if you kind of think through it that way, it gets very hard to define what a CEO is because Every company is so different. So anyway, the seven types, again, the, the executor, the change agent, the mentor, and the other half, or the other three. But the where I'm going with this is that um, if I look at, at all of the members we have in the COO Alliance, I would say about 40 or 50% of those COOs have finance report to them, and about half do not. 
I'd say about half of them have IT and engineering and product reporting to them. About half don't. About half have sales and marketing, and some don't, right? It's really, what are the strengths of the CEO? So when we were building, when I was the second command at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I helped take mm -hmm. the company from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six years, and from 2 million to 106 million. Brian was very strong in IT and finance. I wasn't. So I ran everything else in the business. I ran operations, the call center, sales, marketing, PR, our franchise operations. I did a lot of public speaking. I was very outward, kind of facing COO. Um, now the COO that's there does no public speaking, never speaks to the media, and really doesn't focus on culture at all. He's very inward facing, and he handles IT and finance. But it's a different stage of the organization. So it's hard to say what's a COO because we have to match the CEO's skills, the CEO's weaknesses, the areas of the business the CEO doesn't want to work in. And we're there at a certain timeline of the business or a certain season of the business. And the skill set for that COO for that season or that timeline might be different than later on, right, as the company scales. That's so interesting. So, so he, I'm, what I'm hearing basically is <laughs> it's very hard to define what, what, what the skills or, um, of your second in command needs to be because it really is, it, it's really the, the opposite. You're missing half in a way from whatever the CEO is. So, so it always comes the CEO is first and then you have to figure out what the CEO is second based on the strengths and weaknesses of the CEO is what I'm hearing correct? Exactly. It's kind of like if, if, let's say, a guy was out there and he was recently divorced and he wanted to get remarried and he meets a woman. He's like, oh, you've been married before? Oh, you've been a wife. You can be my wife. No. Like, <laughs> you, you need to learn a lot more about that person to know if they match you, if they match your core values, yeah. if they match your mm -hmm. desires, if they match the way that you show up as a human. Like, do they match you? Do they fit? Right? And that's by getting a deeper understanding of that person. You can't just get married to somebody because they've been a, you know, a wife before and, and very similar. So the starting point of really understanding how to go out and recruit a COO or a second in command is understanding yourself as the entrepreneur or the CEO first. That's very interesting. And so, you know, have you ever seen situations where CEOs haven't done the due diligence of the work where maybe they don't understand themselves well enough and they make a mishire? Is that, is that really the first step that, that oh, they all, should go through before hiring? All one? the time. Yeah. I was just hired to do a speaking event to a group of entrepreneurs recently. And I was talking about that, the, the scorecard that you need to hire a COO based on. And I put up a, an image of a scorecard, which are kind of the five core areas of responsibility this COO has. And someone in the audience was taking a picture. I'm like, stop. You don't need a picture of that scorecard. That's a scorecard for one company. Your scorecard will look very different. You just need to understand what one is. But the last thing you want to do is use somebody else's scorecard, right? Like as an example, yeah. I love cooking. I wouldn't want a wife who doesn't want me in the kitchen cooking. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> like yard work or gardening, so it'd be kind of cool to have a, a spouse that likes to do yard work and gardening. Um, or, you know, I like certain kinds of food and certain kinds of travel. It would be nice to find a spouse that compliments me in those areas. Right? Right. So it is really understanding your skills, your weaknesses. If I'm a CEO, 
and I really love marketing. I'm really great at marketing. I don't want a second in command to come into my company who wants to run marketing because I'm going to be upsetting them all the time because I'm going to be meddling in their area, right? I really want to hire a COO who doesn't want to touch marketing and they're, they're thrilled that I'm running it because they yeah. want to run the other areas of the business that are there in, you know, within their purview. Yeah. And, and now it makes sense why, like on the cover of your book, the most recent one, the second in command, why you have the yin and the yang, right? I, I, I mean, that that's literally is what you're looking for. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it, what you're looking for is someone to balance you out on all of those areas and also someone who can free you up, right? It's why it's mm-hmm. why they call in, the, in that article, this, the um, misunderstood role of the COO, they talk about a, a couple of roles or like the better half or your other half um, or your partner. It's very much a partnering kind of role, right? It is very much like marriage. Sometimes even you spend more time with that individual than you would in your own marriage, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, right? The hours that you actually put in. Now, even though the, you know, the different skill sets need to be different, are there, is there some sort of like common qualities or skills, no matter who you hire, that are always the same in this particular role of the, of the CEO? Like, what is it that you're looking for in that, in that role that never changes, no matter the different skill sets? Yeah. So it, the answer is yes. And I'll walk you through some, but then as okay. a company gets bigger, the skills then necessarily have to change, right? If you're talking about a second in command of a thousand person company versus a second in command of a 50 person company, very different skill sets, right? Or the second in command for a publicly traded company versus an entrepreneurial organization or a second in command of a global organization versus, right? Or a second in command of a tech company. So again, the skills change based on the type of company the size of the organization, but some of the yeah. commonalities, the second in command, and, I, and notice I'm even using the term the second in command a lot versus COO. We can talk about different titles of second in commands in a second. The, the areas they need to be good at, they have to be very good at the people side of the business. So the people side of the business is, you know, the recruiting, interviewing, selection, and onboarding of people because the, C, the second in command or COO is always helping the rest of the organization bring in good talent. They need to be really good at the communication side of the business, at being able to have a good, healthy conflict, being able to engage in good, healthy debate, be able to help um, groups of people who are coming to the table from different perspectives to have good debate and then come to some kind of consensus together so to create harmony within that good, healthy debate. Um, they have to be really good at helping to develop and grow people because as a company scales, the last thing you want to have to do is keep firing people because their skills aren't good enough for the new size of the company. So they have to really mm. be good at, at those sides of the business for sure. <clears throat> they also have to be really good at the area of strategy and business planning, right? The strategy is to think about where we're going and how we might be getting there. And the business planning is putting the plans and the systems in place to ensure that we get to you know, where we're going. So they have to be really good at that side of the business as well. You know, and then you should be layering in things like, you know, budgeting and cash flow and, um, you know, understanding at least that size of the business. And again, it depends if finance reports to them or not, but they still have to understand those areas of the business more than another executive might. Yeah, they still they need to have full P&L control to some degree or at least an understanding of it. And then it sounds like recruiting and culture is a big part of it. Right. Recruiting, hiring culture. Yeah. 
And then you had mentioned the ability to take strategy and turn it into sort of execution, right? To to see it through or be able to find the right people to do it. And depending on the size anything. of the organization, they also sometimes have to be very strategic themselves as well, right? If a company right. is a 50-person company, strategy might be the CEO's role and they might be left to just figuring out how to make it come true. As a company starts to scale, typically the companies, the executives slow things down a little bit, even if they're growing very quickly, and the executive mm-hmm. team starts thinking of strategy together. So that starts yeah. to scale. Again, P&L responsibility. Sometimes they have P&L responsibility. Sometimes they have full P&L responsibility. Sometimes finance reports to the CEO, and they might only have you know budgeting responsibility for different business areas. But they have to understand the finance side of the business more than you know the head of IT or the head of you know uh, culture or people might. To- totally, yeah, exa- I totally get that. That that makes sense to me. What about you know, what what's like what's a common mistake <laughs> or mistakes that happens in in hiring this role? One of the big ones is that they end up mishiring um, based on the person's pedigree, right? So when I left one eight hundred got junk as an example, they took about twelve months to find my replacement, and they brought the former president of Starbucks USA to come in as my replacement as the COO at one eight hundred got junk. I thought it was a fantastic hire, you know, very strong at multi unit operations, leadership, culture, um, you know, a brand operating in multiple countries, multiple cities, strong leadership program. Problem was the second in command was very corporate, did not embrace the the entrepreneurial culture, didn't embrace franchises, and really didn't like any of the guerrilla marketing tactics and, and believed that everything was from consultants. So that she was a mismatch in terms of the culture side of the business. She was too corporate for this very entrepreneurial company, even though it was a hundred million in revenue. So she kind of messed things up. And then twelve months later she was let go. So it's mishiring based on the culture fit of the person and being too enamored with what they've done versus what they're supposed to be doing, right? Are they a fit for what has to happen versus what they've done in the past? That make that makes sense. So you really have to not only understand, so there's two parts that I'm hearing correctly. It's like you, you really need to, you know, before you find your second in command, if you're a CEO, you need to really understand yourself really well, <laughs> but you also need to understand the culture of your company and how it operates, right? At the end of the day, to find the right fit, because if you don't, then it's a problem. And then I heard a third thing that that was really interesting. You keep mentioning this about seasons, like time and seasons. So so you could have the right person now, but it could be the wrong person later as the company grows, yeah. correct? Like a great example of this, again, going back is 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I was the right COO to take them from the 2 million to 106 million, but I was the mm. wrong one to take them from 100 million to the billion. Eric Church, who's been now their COO for about 10 years, Eric and I have known each other for 35 years. We started a fraternity together in Ottawa, Canada in 1987. Strangely enough, I was president year one and he was president of the fraternity year two. He has been an incredible COO, taking them from about the 100 million mark to the 450 million. He would have been a horrible COO for the first six years when I was there because he didn't understand franchising. He wasn't entrepreneurial. He didn't know how to do everything that needed to be done. 
we didn't have a team. I was employee number 14. I had to build out and hire the whole team. There was no one to delegate to. So he would have been really bad at that season and that entrepreneurial growth season, much like I would have been horrible in that more corporate, you know, strategic, um, multi-business kind of environment that he's operating in. Yeah, that's interesting. So speaking of that, so as you, what's also interesting is what's a mistake, even from your own experience of being like a CEO when you're new to the role and maybe like this is your first time being a COO, what is a very common mistake they make, um, you know, growing the team? Like, is it growing the team? Like what's a common mistake? The most, the most common mistakes that I see are, are in the first 90 or hundred days that they join the organization, right? It's when they come into the organization and there's either an act of desperation by the CEO to bring them in to get some stuff fixed right away. You know, maybe they're replacing somebody or that we've been trying to recruit and hire this person for six months. We just need them to start. You actually need them to start much slower than they can often start or you want them to start. So what I yeah. try to do is say that for the first 90 days, we break it up into three month periods. In month one, the entire role of this new CEO or COO is to come into the organization and observe, to sit in on meetings, to meet with each of the executives one-on-one, to go for lunches or dinners with each of the executives, to meet with them over Zoom, to sit in on training sessions, to read manuals, to read playbooks. And while they're meeting and talking to and observing and sitting in on listen calls and sitting in on sales calls and sitting in on customer calls, they have a notebook and they're scribbling down notes. They're literally taking as many notes as possible of things that they observe over the course of that 30-day period. And they do nothing other than observe. In the second month, they list all the things that they want to change, all the areas that are broken, all the opportunities that they see. And they try to rank them in highest impact to lowest impact. And then they go back and stress test each of their observations. So it's like, oh, I Mm -hmm. think we should fire Bob. Well, now they're going to go back and they're going to talk to a bunch of people to really understand Bob. And they might all of a sudden realize, nope, I don't have to fire Bob. I just need to move Bob into a different seat and he'll excel. Mm-hmm. Or yes, I do need to fire Bob, but not yet. Um, so, Or maybe this idea of this software we have to put in place after talking to everybody, they could actually build something or put in a free system. Or maybe they could you know, automate a process or optimize a process and they don't need that software that they were going to put in place. So they're stress testing or testing their hypotheses for each of the things they want to do in month two. In month three, what I suggest that they do is put in place any of the easy wins, any of the small projects that are going to be easy wins, any of the projects that don't require a bunch of people, time or money that will help the company get some kind of a result or an ROI easily. If they put those easy things in place, they're going to build the trust of the team. The people around them are going to say, wow, this person's smart. They waited. They thought through stuff. This is an easy project. Oh, it yielded results. And now they're gaining the trust of the team. They're gaining some of the you know better communication with the team. And in the second quarter, they can start putting in place some of the bigger, hairier projects. But that's where I see that going you know, wrong is in the first two weeks, they're firing people. They're bringing in their own team. They're putting in place all these big... and. They've, they've literally created all these ripple effects in the organization that the organization wasn't ready for. And they don't have the trust yet of the people around them to be able to navigate through that. Amazing. 
That is absolutely amazing. And, and I highly recommend that if you haven't ordered Cameron's book yet, Second in Command, it goes into much more detail about this. And it's a perfect read for both the CEO as well as the CEO or anyone looking for their Second in Command. Like, order the book on Amazon. Like, if you live in North America like I do, it literally comes the same day. Um, it's 100% worth a read. And it's jam-packed full of information, but you can read this in like one weekend. I read it like in one Saturday, just sitting in my backyard and just loved it and underlined it and dog-deared it. There's all kinds of amazing stuff in there. Cameron also has like a really good course as well, too. I know like something that I learned from Cameron working with him over the years is he, um, you know, a mistake I always made was I was always trying to um, uh, fix things. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't need to fix everything, especially a lot of things around leadership in your in your team. Like I've always always had trouble training middle managers and managers. <laughs> but Cameron has this course. It's called Invest in Your Leaders. What what is it, Cameron? It's like a thousand bucks or something, or well, not it's not very that. much. Seven hundred and forty dollars per. It's seven hundred and forty dollars. Okay. It, go sign up for the course and then just put your team through it. it it's it, it's the best leverage you'll ever find in your life. Is How long would it take someone to come, come up and, with all that information? Like how long did it take you to learn that and put it in that way to train oh, middle uh, managers? Yeah, I mean, to go through the course, it's only about five hours of watching the videos that I've recorded for everybody and going through the written information and the pre and post test. It's about five hours total, five and a half hours total. It's taken me about 20 years to go through and learn, work with mentors, read the books, go through classroom sessions on this content. Like I'll give an example. One, one of the content areas called situational leadership. I've mm -hmm. probably spent 30 hours in classroom and working with coaches on, on this the situational leadership model. Why I condense it into like a 30 minute module to really help the entrepreneurial companies and leaders kind of gain these skills. So yeah, it's a crash course in everything that's helped me. And it's not in my books. It's it's the content that that I've really worked behind the scenes in coaching CEOs and COOs with all over the world. I just decided to codify it two years ago and put it in as a course. So thank you for mentioning it. No, no problem. We've only got a few minutes here left. So what I'd really encourage people to do is is put your questions down below. Even if we don't get to it right now, Cameron, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I've seen that have come in and I've kind of cherry picked them that I think that are appropriate on the topic of the role of the CEO to end off with. But if, if you didn't get your question answered, put them down below. We'll come back and get them answered afterwards. But I've got like a one question in here is, which is, you know, what have you found one of the best ways for COOs to improve systems and processes? Well, best ways to improve systems and processes. I guess that's a great question. What are the best ways for COOs to improve systems or processes? One is to, to take a look at kind of mapping it out, to map out the system from, from start to finish, whatever that system might be. Let's say it's the, the onboarding of a new member into the COO Alliance. What are all the things that need to happen? What are all the steps of that process that needs to happen? How many minutes or hours do each of those steps take? Who does each of those steps of the process? How can we optimize those steps? Or even before that is, can we stop any of those steps? Like the things that we do, can we just delete it, right? Can we add it to our, our stop doing list? So let's stop some parts of the process completely. And then can we optimize any of those steps of the process, right? Can we make it simpler? Can we make it faster? Can we template it? Um, if we've optimized it, then can we automate it, right? So it's stop optimize, automate, 
And then after you've automated, if you can't, if you can automate, then, then if it's automated, you're great. If you can't automate it, can you outsource it? Right. So can you get a freelancer and can you leverage things like Zapier or if this, then that to, to kind of have a step notify somebody that their work needs to be done. And then you have a freelancer or an internal person working on that part of the step to kind of speed up the process. Um, and then, you know, delegating internally. It's also about the training parts of all the processes. So it's making sure that people know how to do each of the steps of the process and that they have the, the confidence to do each of the steps of the process. And then it's also around Parkinson's law that work expands to fill the space that we give it. So projects or even individual tasks can often take much longer than we want them to take. So it's by telling people, hey, this task is a one minute task. I don't want you spending 26 minutes on this one minute task, because if you multiply that over the course of the year, it expands. And, and so it's thinking about all of your processes that way. Stop, optimize, automate, outsource, delegate. And then can we also train people on those functional areas and give them the skills and the confidence and then control the amount of time and money that each step of the process takes? That's the way my thoughts work around it. Amazing. Listen, Cameron, we're, we're out of time for today's session. I really can't thank you enough uh, for doing this. Uh, I think a lot of people got a lot of value. Again, if you didn't get your questions answered, put them down below. I want to encourage everybody to go buy the Second in Command uh, book on Amazon. Go check out Invest in Your Leaders. Uh, if you're a COO or a Second in Command, uh, join the CEO Alliance. And then if you're new in operations, you now have the the Ops Spot. Is that correct? Yeah. It's called the Ops Spot? Yeah, the Ops Spot is for anybody at like the director or manager level. And it's a community, online community for them to work on all their operation skills, to build out their operational network for anybody in operations to kind of geek out with others that are in your space. And it's a great community for them, pure online community. Yep. And go follow Cameron, follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow him on YouTube. You can subscribe to his podcast called the second and second in command. Where else can people uh, find you? Uh, we've got a second command YouTube channel as well. And then we also have the COO Alliance YouTube channel. They should check those out. I think you mentioned all six of my books are available on Amazon, Audible and iTunes. And by the way, I know you've mentioned like go buy the second command book. I'm not trying to sell books here. It's just it's very hard <laughs> to give all of the content that I spent months compiling into each of these areas, it's hard to give a ton of that over 30 minutes. So I will definitely answer the questions. Some I'll do some video answers. Some will just do some text responses. Um, and then some will even post some of the answers as videos on the YouTube channels too. But definitely check us out online. And then, yeah, if you're a company that has at least 5 million or greater, for sure you want to get your second in command to join the CO Alliance. Awesome. Thank you very much, Cameron. Thank you, everyone, for attending. Thanks, Paul. Everybody have a great day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com. 